You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to Little Me Growing Up Broadway. My guest today is Lindsay Haightley. At the age of 17, Lindsay Haightley went from high school student in London to playing the title role in the original production of Carrie the Musical in Stratford at the RSC, opposite Barbara Cook. The following year, she created the role of Carrie in the legendary Broadway production opposite Betty Buckley. Following Carrie, Lindsay starred as Eponine in the West End production of Les Miserables and went on to star as the narrator in the original London revival of Joseph, for which she received an Olivier nomination. She played Nancy and Oliver, Roxy Hart in Chicago, Martha in The Secret Garden, Winifred Banks in the original Mary Poppins, as well as Donna in Mamma Mia and a ton of other roles in the West End. Her solo albums, For the First Time, Sooner or Later, and True Colors have been re-released on Spotify and iTunes. It is no secret that I have been obsessed with everything related to Carrie for as long as I could remember. Since I first had an AOL address, I was downloading clips of the show to find out what this thing was, and I fully remember downloading Eve Was Weak and the title song Carrie and wanting to know everything about this 17-year-old girl who was starring in the show. Of course, I learned a lot from Carrie from Ken Mandelbaum's book, Not Since Carrie. And in 2014, I finally had the opportunity to put my own stamp on the musical Carrie when Broadway Workshop staged one of the first productions following the MCC revisal of the show. Needless to say, to have the opportunity to sit down with the original star of Carrie to talk about her wild ride creating this role at the age of 17, it, it was truly a joy for me. I have to give a big thank you to Robbie Rizal, who is instrumental in getting Lindsay's albums re-released on streaming platforms and also helped me set up this interview. So thank you, Robbie. And if you love this story and you want to dive a little deeper into the story of Carrie, check out Out for Blood, the Carrie Breakdown podcast that is available on the Broadway Podcast Network. It is so incredibly done. It's basically serial for Carrie. So enjoy my sit down with Broadway legend, West End star, Lindsay Haightley. 
Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and I'm here with Lindsay Haightley. I am so excited to get to chat with you today. You've been on my the top of my list of people I wanted on this podcast, so thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's uh, it, it's lovely, and particularly at a time like this, it's so nice to to meet new friends. <laughs> well. Hi, new friend. Um, so on the Little Me podcast, we talk a lot about the early years of people's careers. You've had such an exciting career and done so many different exciting things throughout your life. But we're going to go back to the way beginning. Um, your Wikipedia page says that you are an orphan in Annie somewhere. <laughs> where, where did where did the career kind of start for you as a little kid? Um, well, I came from a completely untheatrical background. Um, no one in, in my family um, is in the theatre or could sing. Um, but apparently I sort of came out singing practically. <laughs> um, so I sort of, uh, I wasn't very academic at school, um, but I was obviously hopeless, completely hopeless. Um, so my parents said they sent me off to dance class and, you know, the usual sort of thing. And I, and I got the bug for it at a really young age. My, my parents, even though we were very working class, didn't have a, a huge amount of money. Um, they always seemed to have an album in, in the house of, um, you know, the odd, like, Godspell or, yeah. um, you know, just different things like that. And um, I sort of, yeah, sort of got the bug for that sort of musical sound. Um and sort of carried on doing sort of local sort of dance competitions and, you know, one thing and another. And um, it just became apparent that I just had a natural flair for it. And there was nothing particularly locally to me that was was catering for children like myself at the time. Um, so uh, that actually, what actually happened was um, we heard about some auditions for the film of Annie. And I was about nine at that age. Yeah, I was about, about nine. And um, they were going to be doing auditions in London, which for me to go to London was a big deal. You know, I lived in Birmingham, which was sort of, you know, the middle of the country. And um, uh, so we went down for a day trip. We just thought, well, let's just give it a go. And we queued up with millions of other, you know, young hopefuls. And um, and then I got a recall. And it was just like, what a recall for the film of Annie? This is ridiculous. So we went back again. And and then I had to go again. And this and, and I ended up going to the, the finals in London, um, which was at um, the Dorchester Hotel. Well, I mean, bearing in mind that we... <laughs> <laughs> we sort of come, come up from the sticks and really didn't know, you know, much about anything. We were sort of quite daunted by the fact that I was in Elizabeth Taylor's suite doing a screen test for, for the film of Annie. Um, and, and so I did this. I mean, it was just wonderful. I remember being given um, an Annie necklace, which I still have to this day, and it was of the actual cartoon character of Annie. And, um, and at the end of the auditions, I said, you know, I think it was about maybe about 10 of us, um, and they said, you know, you've all done wonderfully well. Um, please don't be disappointed if you don't hear anything. But if you get a letter through the post, then, you know, it looks like it could be an exciting time for you. And we didn't hear any more of it. And then about two months later, I get this letter through the post. And I could see the Annie sign on it. And there's me and my parents who are like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And we open it up and it said, Dear Lindsay, we would just like to thank you so much for your wonderful audition. 
unfortunately. And I just thought, <laughs> no. oh, no. I should have known then it was not a, ni- a nice business. Um, so that was that was my sort of opening to the career, at least. I sort of uh, did that. Um, and then I auditioned for The Show of Annie, which was at the time at the Victoria Palace Theatre in London. Um, but it was in its final, I think it's in its final six months there. And so they wanted local children and I wasn't local. So I didn't get it, but then it went on its national tour. Um, and I got the part of Duffy the first time around and then Pepper the second time around at the Birmingham Hippodrome. So that was it. I was, I'd got the bug then. And obviously then your parents knew like she is good. Like she has it. Like, well, this yeah, is going to be something. They, 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 I mean, they, you know, they thought I was good, but they didn't really know anything about, you know, really, you know, whether I was that good or not. So um, it was really, it was after that that I was sort of going, I need to be somewhere where I can train and and, and get better at this. And um, we sort of, you know, had long, hard talks about it, but ended up... Um, when I was only 14, which I look back now and think I can't believe I did it, but I went on audition for a theatre school down in London because, um, you know, they did take children in um, theatre schools then. Um, and so um, I auditioned for a couple of schools, one of which I didn't get into. Um, I think it might have been the, pal- the ballet tights. I didn't look good in the ballet tights. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then I auditioned um, for a, a theatre school called Italia Conti, which at, back in the 80s was sort of one of the more popular sort of theatre schools, particularly for children. Um, and I auditioned. I, um, <laughs> I had to do a, a song, so I chose to do Bohemian Rhapsody. As well, most 14 year olds would. <laughs> as you would. Um, but I, ha- I couldn't do the whole version because it was too long. <laughs> like 14 minutes long, yeah. <laughs> so I had to do a spliced version of it. And I remember doing it, splicing it with my own tape recorder. Um, did, did the first section and the last section. And I think probably just on doing that alone, they thought, well, Christ, we've got to give this kid a chance. Just just having the confidence to have a go at a Freddie Mercury number. Um, so I went, yeah, so I went to um, Italia Conti at the age of 14 and uh, stayed with a family in the week and went home every weekend to my parents, which, again, I, you know, I, I look at it now and I think, I, I can't believe I, I did it, but I did. And, um, and, and did that for three years. And it was, it was, they have an agency attached to the school, but I never really got anything because I was kind of, you know, I was maturing as a, as a teenager and I was kind of, you know, there were some very beautiful children at that school, and I sort of wasn't one of them. I kind of fit, I, I was the sort of quirky kid, a bit chubby, and but I sang really well for a youngster. You know, I just had this sort of, you know, really big, voice, big powerful voice. Um, and the audition came in for um, the musical Carrie, and uh, they were looking for a teenager or someone who looked like a teenager quirky teenager um, with a big voice. And funnily enough, I got the call to the agencies. <laughs> what did um, you know about Carrie going into that? Had you seen the movie? Had you read the book? What did you know about Carrie? I had seen the movie. Um, I hadn't seen, I hadn't read the book at that point, um, but I'd seen the movie, um, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, just sort of thought it was a great horror movie classic um sissy space set was wonderful in it um and yeah it was just you know a classic horror movie um 
didn't really think too much about, oh, this is a weird thing to turn into a musical because I just didn't really think, to be honest. I was a 16-year-old by this yeah. point. Um, and it was sort of my first audition for a, a proper musical. So, I mean, I was just delighted to, to be seen for something. I didn't realise it was for the part of Carrie. Um, I just was asked to go along to the London Palladium, which that in itself was like dream come true for me. You know, to stand on the London Palladium stage, I felt like I died and gone to heaven. Um, and that was like the top already, you know, like it didn't matter what came out of it. I'm that, sure. that, yeah. was, that, was, that was it. You know, I mean, I was just thrilled to even be standing on the London Palladium. And not only that, to be then staring at Debbie Allen. I was just like... <laughs> so you knew Debbie from fame, I'm assuming. And so... I grew up yeah. with the album, you know, listening to Kiss from Fame, you know, watching Gene Anthony Ray. And, you know, I mean, so... That whole situation was completely mind blowing for me. That suddenly I'm in the same room as you know the, these people I've been watching on the telly for a few years and dancing in my living room to their album. You know, it's sort of incredible. During that audition, when did it start feeling like, oh, these people are really interested in me? When did you start to feel that? Um, it was an odd one, really, because I sort of they said, you know, come in your dance gear. Well, me and my dance gear, well, it wasn't the best look, to be fair. Um, and, I, and I stood on the stage with all these phenomenal-looking dancers around me, you know. And it really, I mean, in hindsight, it, it was the cream of the West End. You know, all the, the, all our best dancers were all on the stage with me. I couldn't really quite understand why they were all kind of six foot, and I was five foot, nothing. It was. It was weird one but um you know I went with it I didn't really like I said didn't think too hard about it and and I kept up with them you know I sort of uh, I loved to dance always had loved to dance but I was never going to be I didn't look like a dancer so I was never going to be a dancer um but they did um uh, a routine to Michael Jackson's bad and I remember it blasting out over the London Palladian sound system and you know it was just I was just living the dream I really was um so I did that, and then Debbie Allen asked me to do a little bit of running around the stage by myself and a little bit of, you know, sort of quirky little dancing. And I thought, oh, I don't know why they're singling me out particularly, but I'll go with it. Um, so I did a bit of that, and then they said, um, right, we're going to hear people sing now. Um, but that was in a different room. And I was taken into a different room. Everyone went in one at a time. Um, and they asked me to sing a song, uh, and I sang On My Own from Les Mis. Excellent choice. It will come back to you. It, you know, it was it was basically it was uh, the song, the, the go to song for me yeah. at, at, at that moment in time because Les Mis has only recently opened, and you know Francis Raffel became a very um, instant sort of iconic character in that that part, and um, and her sound was quite unique, and um, uh, you know I just sort of thought that's the song I'd like to sing so gave that a go um and that was it and they said thanks very much and off I went and I sort of thought well I think that might have gone okay but I I didn't know I just knew that I had an amazing experience you know it was just amazing um and the next day I went into school I was back in at the theatre school and um I got a call to the agency saying they want to see you again today you know, literally, they want to see you today and they want you to go back and do pretty much the same sort of thing. Um, so I went back to the Palladium again. Thank <laughs> you. And I, I, the one thing that I, I did do was I thought, I'm 16. There's no way they're going to employ me if I don't make myself look as old as possible. 
So uh, bear in mind, it was the 80s, terrible time for fashion. Um, and I had lots of, lots of 80s hair. So I sort of back yeah, so Your big Aquanet tease oh, hair. Well, um, big hair. Um, my hair was thick anyway, so I kind of even went further with it. Slapped on loads of makeup so that to try and make myself look as old as I can, and um, did a little bit of dancing again. And I said, right, we really want to concentrate on the singing. Can we um, have some time with you? And all the creative team were there. Um, sang on my own again, and and then uh, Dean Pitchford. Um, who is lovely, who wrote the, the lyrics for Carrie, he took me to one side and and he just sort of said, you know, how would you feel about um, taking off all your makeup and just calming your hair down a little bit? And, you know, and I was just like, um, okay. So I sort of went out and took all my makeup off, conscious of my spotty face and everything else as a teenager, um, went back in and then they got me to learn um, the beginning of the title song of Carrie, which... Um, I don't know if you know it or not, but it's quite a... It's, oh, it's a, it's oh a I know it. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so it's a great sort of dynamic start to a, um, to a number, which, again, is a very, very long, long piece. Um, but um, I, I, as soon as I sort of heard it, I thought, oh, you know, and I can't read music, never have, probably never will now, I'm too old and ugly to care. But um, at, at the time, you know, I learned, I learned quickly. And so therefore, you know, I sort of bashed out this, hey, anybody ever get it right, Carrie, and all that, um, and, and sang that for them. And, and, and sort of, and that was it. And I, I mean, I, I went back and I sort of, I felt like it had gone well. I, you know, when you just feel as though something yeah. in the room has kind of gone I, I, I felt that they were excited by what they were seeing, but I, you know, I wouldn't want to ever presume or get overexcited. Um, so that was that. And then the next day I got a call to the agency and it happened to be my 17th birthday. And I got called up to the agency and I walked in and, and they said, oh, you know, we've got a birthday card for you. And I said, oh, that's, that's really nice. And they didn't mention anything about Carrie at all. So I thought, yeah, maybe that's it. And then I opened up the card and it said, happy birthday, Carrie. And that's how I found out that I'd got the job. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that the greatest story ever? It's, it's amazing. Uh, how did your parents react to this this huge moment? Well, you know, it was one of those things that um, the initial excitement was just incredible. It was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Um that I was going to be working in a Royal Shakespeare Company production, bearing in mind that Les Mis had just done so well for the RSC. So there was all that. And also just the fact that, you know, I was a, you know, a young teenager who suddenly was being given, you know, the most wonderful stepping stone, a wonderful opportunity to, um, to, to make my sort of proper theatre debut. Um, but then, of course, the reality kicks in of actually the nature of the part. And... Um, you know, they're, they're very protective parents. You know, they're, they're very down to earth and very, um, very caring parents. And, I, you know, I, I feel blessed that I've always had such wonderful support from them. So it, the next question was, how are they going to do this? You know, how, is this going to be the right thing for you to do, Linz? I was very self-conscious and still am, actually. And I've always been quite a self-conscious person. And, and therefore... Um, it, we were worried about how, how it was going to be portrayed. But fortunately, Terry Hans, the director, um, 
had a, you know arranged to have a meeting with myself and my parents oh. um, and he took us out for for lunch um, we went to a posh restaurant that none of us knew which bit of cutlery to use because we were just so like from the really? sticks and not a clue we're all <laughs> waiting for right? yeah. you know and you're waiting for the person to do oh it was that one right so I'll use that one first I nearly drank out of the finger bowl but I didn't but nearly did um it was a very stressful afternoon but he did you know reassure us that you know all the you know intricate shower scenes and stuff like that you know the 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 the, the moments of um uh, you know sort of awkwardness would be dealt with so that i would never have to show myself at all so um that as soon as we had that kind of guarantee that he was going to protect me and not you know expose me in any way like that um it was it was too good a, a, an opportunity not to to jump on the ride really and also at the time you were the youngest person to ever start an RSC show I know. which is like a very big deal i think you still might be i don't know no cuz because they had matilda Oh, all right, fine. I know, I know. But I did, <laughs> well, I did dine out on it for years ago. You do know I am the RSC's youngest ever leading lady. <laughs> um, speaking of Terry Hands, how was he with you? You know, he has come under fire as being, you know, the problem or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there. I've heard so many different kinds of things about working with him. What was your ultimate experience of building this character with him. Yeah, I, I, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think there's two There's two factors. One, um, I always think it's difficult to talk about someone who now isn't here to to defend themselves. Um, mm -hmm. I know that Terry probably did try um, to do that when he when he was around, but um, I, I, for me, um, Terry was um, a very charming man who, um, who did look out for me he, he he did try to protect me and I think that um where he was at his most comfortable without a doubt was um anything to do with the mother and daughter scenes anything that to do with the drama um he came into his own um and so therefore I probably myself and either Barbara in Stratford or Betty in New York um spent the most time with him um successfully I would say um I think as a musical theatre director, it wasn't his bag. And I think that that became very apparent um, and probably to, to other people that were far more experienced than me. What you have to remember is that had I been working with Terry now, my whole take yeah. on it would all be a very different thing. But as a child, and I really wasn't quite a naive one at that, um, I just... Um, I just I felt that he'd got my back. I felt that he 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 gave me time and attention that that wasn't really coming from any other area. Um, and I and I think he cared deeply about it. I just think that he was misguided. He misjudged what it was. And I think fundamentally, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think it should have been directed by an American. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very yeah. American piece, yes. and, and and particularly back in those days. I mean, you know, we we. I think we've kind of got a lot closer, actually, as the years have gone by with musical theatre. And certainly as, as, you know, like a, an English audience, for example, back in those days, you know, we were very reserved. But we have become a lot more, you know, Americanized as we've gone along. We whoop and cheer and, you know, make noise like, yeah. the, like 
the rest of you now, but it, it was back back in that at that time. I think there were so many things to be commended about it because it was very experimental um, and very extreme. And I do believe that because it was so extreme, um, are all the reasons why it didn't work. However, are all the reasons why we still talk about it now. And I think that I, had it, I think had it not. You know, had it not been, it would have just been forgotten about. You know, there were some fantastic things in it and there were some dreadful things in it. But uh, on the whole, it had massive potential and, and it was done with absolute gusto in, in whichever, you know, it was it was full In every on. direction. Every yeah. direction was so full on that it's made it the talking point that it, it still is. I mean, there are shows that ran for years that no one talks about anymore, but here we are still talking about this iconic experience. Tell me about Barbara Cook. Did you know who she was going into it? Had you been listening to the music man your life? I feel, I mean, you know, again, I feel dreadful because I didn't know who Barbara Cook was. I didn't know who she was. And so, you know, but you know, in some ways that was probably a blessing because I then, I went in, you know, not intimidated. I, I, I was, you know, I was, I don't know, you know, you, you are brave when you're young, aren't you? You just, you just do things. And, and I just threw myself into everything. And, um, and she was gorgeous. You know, I mean, she was, she was kind. She was warm to me. She was, um, she was beautiful. You know, she was a beautiful woman. And, um, you know, right up until, you know, she she passed, we kept in touch. And uh, I, I spoke to her. That. Yeah, I spoke to her, you know, not too long before she, she passed away. And, um, you know, I, you know, she, she was part of the beginning for me. So, you know, she, she both her and Betty, for totally different reasons, are, will always be very close to my heart. You know, I feel like I've read a lot about this very long rehearsal process that you had with, and especially you and Barbara being together. Did you feel very isolated from the rest of the show? Did you feel like you had, you know, people that you could hang out with during no, rehearsals? No, no, no. I, I was completely isolated. Um, I think uh, maybe it was a choice thing. Maybe they sort of thought that that was a good way of, uh, you know, always making me feel as though I couldn't really fit in with the rest of them. Um, but the reality was that as lovely as everybody was, actually I couldn't fit in because the age gap you know even like I mean I would imagine probably the 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 youngest of the ensemble were probably 21 22 but there's a big difference between being 21 22 and being 17 and particularly by the time you get to New York where they can all go out and have a good time and I'm not even allowed to drink you you know there's it's it's a massive void and 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 it wasn't that anyone was um unpleasant to me you know everyone was always nice when when they saw me but I but no one got to know me, you know, that they didn't really. I mean, I think the only people that did, I would say, is Paul Gingell, who played Tommy Ross. Um, you know, he sort of took me under his wing a little bit. And also um, one of the the, um, the dancers in the show, uh, Kenny Linden, who actually only lives 20 minutes away from me and we've kept in touch ever since. Oh, um, and, and he was kind of... Um, he was, you know, just one of the ensemble that I didn't, I think he felt as if he wasn't one of the cool ones. He was one of the less cool dancers. And therefore, he probably wanted to be my friend because no one else would. No, I mean, I'm exaggerating. But, um, you know, it was just a very separated um, rehearsal process. And then, you know, once performance started, you know, it was, yeah, we were very separated. 
So when the show opened at Stratford, the reviews obviously were a little bit all over the place, but your reviews were really amazing. I mean, so many of the reviews call you out as being this star and the greatest thing about the production. Were you aware of any of that or were you trying to stay in your lane? Uh, you know what? I probably wasn't really aware of it. I mean, I, uh, the, I, I didn't read reviews. Um, I don't really know why. I just didn't. But I, I knew that they were mixed. Um, but I also knew that it had broken box office records for the RSE and that the audiences were sort of standing up, which seemed to me, again, having not experienced any uh, form of, um, uh, you know, audience reaction before, it, it just seemed like, well, we must be doing something right. You know, it, it, yeah. it, you know they're, they're enjoying this. And uh, and people actually were. They, I mean, you know, I'm sure that there was, you know, not necessarily always for the right reasons, but they came out having had a kind of very unique experience. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah. It was weird, really. Did you always know the show was going to Broadway with you or did you just think it was in pieces when you got the original offer? That's a really interesting question, but I, I think, I certainly think I'd been dangled the carrot that it was going to be Stratford and New York. Um, I mean, they were separate contracts, so I'm sure had I not come up with the goods, then they might have gone, actually, we'll get rid of her because she's no good and, and you know, go elsewhere. But I, I think it was always it was always told from the off that the idea was that it was going to be England, New York. When did you find out that Be uh, Barbara was leaving the show? Um, can't remember exactly, but I know that it became, it became very apparent, certainly by the time we got to Stratford, that she wasn't happy. Um, which I found quite hard in, in a sense, um, because one, I loved her, and two, I didn't understand. I didn't understand how, how you know, now I understand. She'd got everything to lose. And, and, and you know, this was a woman of, you know, great experience and, um, and reputation. And for her to go back to New York, she'd got to go back with something that was going to be the right thing for her. And it wasn't, you know, it not only wasn't because she didn't believe in it, um, but actually it didn't fit, you know, it, it didn't fit. And it, it, and that became even more apparent when Betty Buckley did it in New York, because, you know, that woman, that woman was born to play that part. You know, it was yeah. just like, Oh my God. And it took everything to a different level. And it took me to a different level because I was, you know, I had this force to be reckoned with and I had to try and, you know, bring myself up to, to compete with it. Um, it was different with Barbara. It was more harmonious and, and more um, sort of nurturing. Softer. You know, it yeah. was just, you know, she was, she was more, she, her instincts are more motherly. Um, and and know, she was significantly older. I mean, just physically, it's a it was yeah. a different game. I'm sure for yes, her it to was, be it was. throwing you into a, a hole in the stage. And, yeah, and I mean, there was a lot more me sort of doing the throwing or pretending like she's done it rather than Betty that you know I'd come back black and blue every night thinking I'm going to die on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Broadway. So now we're we're closed at Stratford. You come to New York. Had you ever even been to New York before? Nope. 
Oh my God. Where did they, did they get you an apartment? I need to know about those first few days of being essentially 17 years old, coming to star in this new Broadway musical at the Virginia Theater on Broadway. I can't even imagine what a mind game that is. uh, Well, again, like I say, in some respects, it's probably a blessing that I was so naive. So I didn't overthink it. they put me in an apartment in 75th and Central Park West. Nice. Apparently, it was, you know, meant, yeah, it was meant to be a very nice area. I mean, uh, um, I, I think it was. Um, I was living upstairs, and I, one of the coolest things about it was that um, I passed John Malkovich on the stairwell, and I was just like, oh, my God, he's living in the same apartment block as me. I think he was filming something, and he was there, which was really cool. Um, but I was – I know it sounds awful, really um, – but I was disappointed because I wanted like a really American sort of, you know, uh, funky pads, you know, sort of totally nothing like what I would live in at home. And instead I got something where I think they tried to do like a home from home thing. So it was all very sort of quaint and British. And I was just like, oh, God, you know. This isn't what I signed up for. No. And actually had it ran, I was definitely going to move from there because there was no way I'd have stayed in that. It was just sort of, it wasn't me at all. I wanted something sort of funky and fun. Did it feel daunting to look at this big mountain that was in front of you? I mean, the West End is obviously a big deal and Stratford is a huge deal. But, you know, Broadway is the, I mean, it's such an American thing to uh, be a part of. And it it gets so much attention and there's so much money involved. It, It just feels like some of that you had to have taken on in some way. You know, honestly, I, now I would be, beside myself you know I'd be thinking you know I would overthink everything um but back then you know I was so so naive honestly so naive that I was just I was just so excited at the the opportunity I I, I genuinely um I I I was scared about being away from home you know because like I say I have a close-knit family and I didn't want to be away from them. I mean, I, I do remember the night before I left for New York and crying in my mum and dad's kitchen like a baby, just like, how am I going to cope? And how am I going to do this? But it wasn't not. It wasn't about crying because I was going to be starring in a Broadway show. It was actually that I wasn't going to have my mum and dad there to yeah. to pick me up. You know, it was it was that more that was more daunting for me being away from my comfort zone than than it was the actual work ahead of me. Um, had I have known what I was in for, I might have uh, um, you know thought differently. But I was just you know I was just just so excited, so excited at, at the the prospect of it all and the opportunity to 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 discover it even more because you know I'd only tapped the surface in in uh, Stratford and, and that was um, only four weeks right yeah yeah and uh, you know it, it felt like something that had some I was learning on the job everything that I was doing I was like a sponge I was just you know every single day I was learning something new um uh, and and you know learning things that actually I mean I look back on now and I think actually that you know that that wasn't dealt with well but you know again at the time you just sort of I was just on the 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 ride and I and I went with it so um I was daunted by what New York would hold for me and and certainly when I got there I was pretty daunted by uh the speed of it the um 
it felt quite scary, you know, compared to London at the same time back in 88, New York felt like quite a scary, uh, dirty, you know, dirty sort of city that was, you know, quite intimidating for a little kid from Birmingham. Um, but, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, just, just it, it would take me a while to adjust to, to that sort of uh, speed. I think. Were there other things you were doing while you were rehearsing? Were you seeing Broadway shows at night? Were you like taking in any of New York? I did. Um, I did go and see a few shows. Uh, I, I can't really remember whether I saw them um, while we were rehearsing or after we closed. I can't remember the actual, yeah. you know, um, but I certainly did see a couple of shows while I was, while I was still there. <laughs> I mean, the, the rehearsal process seemed to go on forever in New York, and it was very intense because obviously then I um, met Betty, and and that's when our journey began, and and that was a very different um, ball game altogether, and very intense, very intense. Tell time. me about rehearsing with her. What was she giving you that was helping you? What what kind of things were going on in that rehearsal room with her? Um, I, I I think first of all, it was um, it was obvious that she was intense and passionate about it you know she she wanted this to be something um uh, you know just she wanted to push the boundaries she wanted to turn this into something that people had never seen before she wanted to break new ground um you know betty is a phenomenal actress and she's very um raw and uh vulnerable actually very vulnerable and um there were times actually it was quite interesting because there were times when our roles would almost reverse where she would almost become the child and I felt like the adult you know we, we had this sort of strange um relationship that um I think she she loved the fact that I trusted her completely and I don't think she, you know, haven't spoken to her quite a lot since about it. You know, she speaks so highly of me. It's so, you know, it, it's, it, it means so much to me. And I think it was because for her, she felt it was the first time that she'd actually been with another actor who was actually prepared to trust that the, the choices she's going to make are because she, she really thinks it's for the, you know, for the right reasons. Um and I think I trusted her because I was a child and I didn't didn't want to um rock the boat with Betty Buckley. Wanna, certainly didn't want to rock the boat with Betty Buckley and certainly didn't feel that I was in any way, shape or form the person that, that knew better. You know, I didn't. I, you know, this was a woman who, you know, she'd won Tony Awards, she you know, she was phenomenal, you know, she yeah. massive star. And and you know, I just I Whatever she went with, I went, I'll go with it. And there were times when uh, we'd do things and she'd kind of go, no, nah, don't believe it, don't believe it. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, she doesn't believe what I'm doing. Um, but rather than sort of hiding in the corner and sort of, I, I suppose now I might do, I might go and weep somewhere and go, oh, God, they hate me. Whereas back then, again, you know, sort of the innocence of youth and, you know, you've got thicker skin then. I just thought, well, sod this, you, you're really going to believe me. And, and so she just, she did it on purpose. She tried to, you know, sort of push me and push me as much as she could. And, and it made for dynamite. It really made for dynamite. You know, if there's one thing that I, I know I can always be proud of is the work that me and Betty achieved in, in New York. It, it was, it was groundbreaking stuff. It, it really was. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Tell me about the audience reaction because people are still talking about it. And, you know, there's that joke. If as many people said they saw Carrie that actually saw Carrie, the show would still be running. Oh my gosh. People have to be like, I was at the first for preview. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Night. Um, but the audience reaction was so varied. What were you feeling in those first few previews of how is this going? Well, I mean, again, what you have to bear in mind is that the, the, the scenes that, that I was involved in, this sounds so egotistic and I don't mean it to, but the scenes that myself or myself and Betty were in were getting a phenomenal response. Yeah. And so so the experience that we were having was, was very different to the high school kids that were kind of like killing pigs and stuff like that, that were, were having people laughing and screaming and sort of thinking, what the hell's going on? I mean, I mean two a, a, different musicals. It was. It was. It was literally like you know, yeah. two shows squashed together. Um, but you know, it, it was. It was a shock. It was a shock just for me um, how vocal an American audience was. Because, like I say, my only other experience was was in Stratford upon Avon, where everyone was very sort of English and reserved and sat back and you know enjoyed it at the end. But there wasn't any you know, sort of vocal stuff going on. And so right from the off, even, you know, as soon as the um, orchestra kicks off, you hear people go, wah! And I'm thinking, oh, my God, is, is this good? Is this bad? What, what is this? You know, it was just a different experience altogether. Um, I mean, I did the, the the title song of Carrie, which um, I think it lasts about six or seven minutes. It's, you know, it's epic. It took me a long time to build up to, to learn how to sing that song, particularly as my voice hadn't even really... Um, you know, fully matured. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I do remember doing that for the first time in New York and, uh, you know, I was just taken back by the response to it. You know, it was just like I couldn't carry on because it, it was such a, you know, an overwhelming response. And I'm sort of thinking, and, my, and again, I don't know when you meant to sort of stop an audience doing something like that. As a kid, I'm thinking, well, how, what do I do? Sorry, stop now. Or what do I do? I'm standing in my crucifix thinking, what's going to happen? <laughs> Eventually, the MD went, okay, we'll carry we, on. We, we will continue. We need, we need to keep going. It's Carrie, and finally, I hear that word sounding so sweet, thousands of voices forever repeating, Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. I am the sound of distant thunder, the color of flame, I'm Carrie, I am
I mean, that doesn't happen a lot on Broadway. So it's amazing that you have experienced like the height of what that feeling is to have oh, an American audience screaming at you. So extreme, so extreme. And um, the funny thing was, but Betty always tells that story because you go like, I've got to follow this. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously it was unclear like where this was going as yeah. far as is this going to be a hit? Is it? Are we going to run? Are we... So tell me about opening and then what transpired following it. Yeah, well, I mean, it felt a bit culty. You know, that's how it felt. It felt like you were part of some sort of weird cult show that people were going to get so obsessed with because it was so extreme and because the reaction to it was so extreme that you sort of felt that if it was going to run, it was going to become this sort of... Uh, I'm not going to say Rocky Horror, but you, but that sort of, you know, crazy mad fans that would just, you know, be obsessed by it, um, which actually in hindsight kind of has become, you know, people are obsessed with it. They love it, but almost because they couldn't see it rather than, you know, the sort of um, because they did. Um, but we... Um, the opening night, uh, what do I remember about the opening night? Um, ridiculous amounts of flowers in a tiny little dressing room. Um, the, you know, the, it was a quite a compromised theatre for that show, uh, particularly bearing in mind that, you know, by the end of the show, I mean, I'm completely covered in blood and quite a few others of us are also <laughs> covered in it because I've splattered it around all over the place. So, you know, I remember trailing up to the, um, the next floor where there was one shower that I think a load of us had to sort of, you know, share. Um, There's nothing glamorous about it, but the opening night um, was at Stringfellows, which... Again, didn't really mean a lot to me at the time, but I went, my mum and dad had arrived. Oh. My, bro my brother had arrived. So my brother and my mum and dad um, were there. Um, I met Muhammad Ali. Oh my God. You do? At your opening night, there's <laughs> Muhammad Ali. And I met Stephen King, who um, uh, after the opening night, they asked um, to see, uh, he'd gone to see uh, Betty and they they called me down and said, you know, Stephen King would like to meet you. So I went down to Betty's room and um, he very kindly, he probably, I don't know whether he meant it or not, but he said something along the lines of, um, you played Carrie just how I imagined, imagined her, how I wrote it. So that was a nice... Thing to have um and that's as good as it gets right I'll, you know I'll, I'll dine out on it you know even if it's yeah. not true I mean I'll, I'll go with it um and then yes it was one of those classic sort of um it's a bit like um I saw the prom recently you know the, the Netflix thing and there's that whole mm -hmm. sort of the opening night of a Broadway show and then the, 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 then the reviews come out and it's like yeah. disappear um and it was a bit like that you know sort of everyone was sort of oh this is great and then the next minute all oh, the reviews have come out and then there was a very sort of shifty move and yeah people crept away so when did you find out about the closing notice um well that was particularly um harsh um because i i, I think I, I mean someone else who would know the actual days and times better than me but i think our last performance was possibly on a sunday I think that we did a Sunday. Yeah, Sunday matinee. Sunday matinee. Yeah. And um, I was told about half an hour before I went on to do the Saturday night show that we were coming off the next day. Wow. Um, that has to feel like like trauma. I mean, this experience of, Dreadful. Dreadful. you know, here's this thing and we're pulling it away from you. Just as you're starting to get 
your feet and you're just starting to understand how New York works and Broadway. And uh, I'm sure that was a really hard thing to take on. It was, it was, it was the, the, the moment I grew up um, and the closest I could have ever felt to carry really, because it was a bit like having the blood thrown all over me. You know, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was, it was devastating and um, cruel. It was very cruel. Um, it was, it was done uh, without any care or thought, really. And um, and I and I the, think that it, it stayed with me. Yeah, you know, the year stayed, of work that was put in. Yeah. You know what? I, I wouldn't even think like that. I think like that now because I think, yeah, the mortgage to pay and the the child to feed and whatever. But you know, it, it, it was more than that. It was actually, it was. I think it was. It was just just very devastating and and. Um, and it's hard when you're playing Carrie, you know, you're you're the you're playing the title part, and um, and that happens. And it's very hard to get your head around when actually, love it or hate it, the audiences were going bonkers for it. You know, I couldn't I couldn't understand it. I couldn't I couldn't understand how you know no one was giving it longer. It just to you know to settle and and see what it could be. It just it didn't make sense. And and actually that bit still doesn't really make sense. I mean, it makes sense because you hear what goes on, it, you know, people panicking quickly and producers pulling money and people running away very quickly. But actually the reality is they should have hung in there a bit longer. You know, they, they should have done because I think it, it would have, um, it would found have an audience. It, it would. And, and, yeah. 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 Well, and, and certainly got a cast album out of it, which is I the know. most devastating thing of the whole, you know, to, to not have had, not been able to capture, um, I know it sounds selfish or personally about me, but I, the one thing I'm so sad is that there's not anything captured apart from bootleg recordings and dodgy videos of, of, of me and Betty, because I would love to have been able to play that to my daughter and just go, you know what? And actually, and also because, you know, I had a good, I would say a good 10 years of my career after that, where people would go, Oh, you were Carrie. Oh, what was it like? And, and I think, did you see it? Did you hear it? Did you, did you, yeah. because actually the stuff that, that we did was bloody brilliant. You know, it really was, it's, it really, really yeah. was thrilling. And, and I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. And I wasn't allowed to be, I wasn't allowed. I had to, it was easier to not talk about it and it was easier to um, not discuss it than, than to get, to open up the wounds and feel, uh, you know, upset by what people were saying. Well, it feels universally that, the um, the American audience went crazy for getting those bootlegs and trading those videos like in the dark web of all of it. You know, it just felt like it was such a, the, especially the you and Betty stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. that is that is what people wanted to grab onto and desperately wanted to have as a cast album and things like that. So mm -hmm. I'm sure it is, it is kind of turned into something so beyond because it wasn't recorded because it didn't run. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Have, yeah. uh, how long before Cameron McIntosh called you about Les Mis after, <laughs> after that's, I mean, that's the, that's the flip side of this I insane know, business. I know, I know. Well, Cameron was at the opening night. He was at the opening mm -hmm. night of Carrie, he himself and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, and uh, when I got back from New York, which I I left pretty sharpish, I have to say. I I it's sad really because I love New York and I've been back uh, you know a few times since and you know I I love it. Um, 
but I just wanted to get out. I, I just needed to be home. I needed to see my friends and just have a sense of normality again. Um, and and in some ways I regret it because I, you know, you again you sort of wonder had I sort of been brave enough to stay put, maybe you know, I, I, different things could have. Uh, maybe come my way but I just I didn't want to you know I, I just wanted to it, it wasn't I didn't feel good I felt hurt and I wanted to remove myself as as quickly as I could so um yeah got on a plane quite quick and and went back uh, to London and I think I know that I had to, there were two calls that came in um from my agent and one was from Terry Hans and he um said look this has been hard, but we are doing uh, the Wizard of Oz for the RSC for Christmas. I'd love you to come and do Dorothy. Um, and then the next day I got a call saying, um, Cameron McIntosh wants you to do the, um, they're doing a, 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 a sort of video, which would be a video at the time, of the making of Les Mis. And he'd like you to do Eponine, sing the song of Eponine. So I wasn't in the show, um, but they wanted me to record the song and put the costume on and pretend like I was in the show. And my that heart, sounds great. <laughs> and my heart, you know, back it, back then, all I before Carrie, or you know, I was on my own, on my own. I wanted to be Francis Raphael, you know, that was it. Um, and so I just, you know, I I had to do that. I had to do that. So I went and I recorded that and pretended I was, you know, I knew what I was doing. They stuck the hat on and off I went and sang on my own, um, which, again, I'm quite glad about now because it's one of those things that's, you know, recorded and um, and I can show my daughter and uh, yeah. look back on at me. At, uh, I'm still 17. I'm still 17 when I did it. Still got lots of big hair. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, did that. And then on the back of that, Cameron then said, okay, we'd like you to play the part. Oh, how thrilling to be part of Les Mis in the like the uh, height of its Les Misness, you know, yeah, like it's just... it really was. It really was. I mean, it was, you know, epic orchestra, epic theater, epic production, um, wonderful cast. And I learned, so, you know, I mean, I actually stayed with the show for two years. Um, and the reason being, it was first I was earning some money, which I hadn't got. So it was great to earn some money. Um, and also, I was just learning my craft, you know, learning how to, to to maintain eight shows a week and learn how the things you can't do and the things you can do. And um, it was it was a fantastic um, learning curve for me. And and I I really I really enjoyed that. It was it was great. Can you tell the scream story? Because it's just so it's a great <laughs> theater story. Uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about it at the time, and it wasn't until I was doing my cabaret and I was trying to think of stories, and um, and I'd gone back to Les Mis, um, I think it was about 20-something years later, to do Madame Tenardio, which I don't know what, I just thought it'd be good fun, to be honest. Um, I think it was a, <laughs> probably a little bit soon, because actually, you know, once I was there, I sort of realised, actually, I'm... I'm sort of itching to do more and I felt I spent, I spent more time putting on makeup than I did actually on the stage it was sort of, it, but, yes. but you know I just thought it'd be great fun to do and great fun to say that you played Eponine all those years back and then you know um, Madam T great fun um so I went back to, to do Madam T and we were in the uh, dress rehearsal before the opening night and I'm putting the teeth on and you know putting the lines on and 
Uh, and I was listening to the tunnel and my ear just kept being drawn to all the eponine stuff. And it was it was the bit where um, uh, she runs to the gate and goes, I'm going to scream, I'm going to warn him here, and runs to the gate and does this scream. And I heard this scream and I thought, God, that's a bloody good scream. Um, and years before when I'd done um, Blame Is, I'd, I'd, so I'd suggested, because it just seemed bonkers to me to do this screaming every night, you know, why don't we record it? You know, let's record me screaming and then, you know, press the button and off I go and you don't see my face anyway. They'll know, you know, won't know any different. So we recorded a scream and anyway, all these years later, I went to the sound guys and I said, you don't mind me asking, do they still record the Eponine scream? Because, you know, it, it's such a strong scream. And they said, well, actually, we're still using yours. <laughs> So I've been screaming at like this for 25 years or whatever. Oh, I love that. Um, and you're also part of the Les Mis movie as well, right? You're one oh, of the... briefly, briefly. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. They should have... Did they use your scream in the movie too? They... No, they should have done, shouldn't they? They should have They should have just screamed everywhere. They should just keep using it. <laughs> when did uh, Betty Buckley invite you back to New York to do that Carnegie Hall concert where you got uh, to do this, all yeah. this Carrie stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um... Just trying to sort of put the dates together because it was before my daughter, so I reckon it was about ninety-eight, something like that, something like that, ninety-seven, ninety-eight. We're going to say a decade after Carrie, you were back in New York at Carnegie Hall on stage, doing having this moment and watching you do that and watching the bow after that is so astounding because you kind of can see that you are releasing something. It's it's a magical thing to watch. Tell me about that performance. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was very cathartic, actually. It was it was quite a, you know, healing process in a sense. I mean, when, when I got the call from Betty saying, look, I'm doing this amazing concert and I want you to be my special guest, um, will you come over? I was like, mm, let me think about it. Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, so yeah, I went over like a shot, um, and, uh, and and had a great week there. Actually, I, I brought my friend over with me, and and the pair of us just had a great time. And he ended up here at the time. He was dressing someone. Um, I think he might have been dressing. I don't know, someone on Sunset. Um, but he came over and ended up dressing Betty in her quick changes on stage as well. So it was a great week for the both of us because he was like, oh my God. And in fact, he was more stressed than I was, which is funny. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, we, we sort of rehearsed, but not a lot. Um, you know, we sort of talked about it a little bit, but not a huge amount. And, you know, time was of the essence and... Uh, there was a lot of cost involved. So it was a case of, you know, we had the orchestra one day and we rehearsed with them. And then the next day it was, you know, rehearse on stage, let's do it, boom. So it was all very, very, um, you know, very thrown together, actually. Certainly that bit. I think, you know, Betty obviously had more time with her stuff. But, you know, for our bits, it was, you know, we need to sort of fly by the seat of our pants a bit here. Um And so I did, I did the title song first, which was wonderful. And the reception was so, oh, God, it was, um, it was so good for me <laughs> it was so it was so good for me honestly it was just um yeah one of those highlights in your life that you'll just try and bottle up and, and remember um yeah it was beautiful and then um and then betty came on and we did the you know the, the eve was weak scene which you know out of context is crazy in itself um and to try and do it with a God knows how many piece orchestra that had never sort of heard the music before. It was all a little bit like, oh, where are we going? Where are we going? Um, but you know, we we got there in the end. It sort of it it had a little moment at the beginning where we're all a little bit out, and I thought, oh, is this going to sort of 
work, but we pulled it back and uh, I decided when she threw me that I'd hide under the piano and that went down really well. <laughs> so I spent the rest of the time under this piano hiding. Um, but yeah, they, you know, the audience loved it and um, there was a lot of people very appreciative, I think, of, of us doing it. And uh, it was, it was yeah, just, just again, one of those those wonderful moments to be very grateful for and, and, and very, very cathartic. Well, you have had such a huge career in the West End. Martha in Secret Garden, The Narrator and Joseph, which got you an Olivier nomination, Roxy in Chicago, Mrs. Banks Mary Poppins, Nancy and Oliver, Donna and Mamma Mia. I mean, your career is huge. And you just kind of wrapped pre-COVID doing uh, the Blood Brothers tour, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, what do you want to do next? Like when the world is reopened, what can we see Lindsay Hately doing? What do you want to do? I don't know. I mean, it's funny, actually, isn't it? Because I think that this whole experience has kind of made us all, um, you know, think about things a little bit and, uh, you know, have a different perspective on stuff. And I think probably, you know, I'm 50 now. I turned 50 this last year. Well, you know, I think October. <laughs> last year, I've lost the track. And Happy birthday. Day. No, no, no idea what day it is anymore. Um, but, um, you know, nothing nothing is as easy as it was you know as a performer I think it gets harder I think that you know you I always set my standards stupidly high and I sometimes find it hard or, or I, I beat myself up if I don't feel as if I can you know get the, the the standard that I want um I think that all stems back to Carrie I think you know there's that there's always that fear of uh, failure and so therefore it's kind of instilled in me this you know it could go wrong and therefore I have to you know, keep proving, and uh, and that's exhausting. <laughs> so, in some respects, it's been quite nice to just take a step back, and because I haven't been able to to do what I do. Um, on the flip side of that, um, it is what I do, and and it's it's what I've I've always done. And uh, without it sounding naff, I think it's what I was born to do. You know, I, I, there's not not much else that I'm particularly good at, other than hopefully being a mom, which I've, has been you know my my biggest passion. Um, uh, so I, I hope that you know that we. I just hope we get theatre back. I'm looking forward to sitting in the in the stalls. Never mind being on the, the stage itself. I just I long to to have escapism and to give people escapism. You know, it's 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 a, a very precious thing, and I think that it's greatly missed. And I and I can't wait to you know indulge it again. Really can't. Well, we can't wait for you to be back on stage. We have to talk about the albums really quickly because your first three albums uh, for the first time sooner or later and True Colors are, are available on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks. <laughs> and I guess our buddy Robbie Rozelle yeah. helped make that happen. Very much sure. thanks to Robbie, yes. I mean, yeah. I... I you know, you're so amazing. The time. You're, you're so great. Are do we oh. have plans for maybe another album in the future? Well, you never know. You never know. I mean, I, actually, to be fair, I would love to do one. I, mean, I think that you know your voice changes over over the years, and I think that uh, you know your your style and your experience and and all those things you know come into play. And um, while it's still working, while the old vote is still doing something, it would be nice to um, represent something as a mature lady. Um, so yes, it would be lovely. It'd be lovely to do another one and um, let's hope it's on the cards. Yeah. Well, I'm thrilled that those three are back kind of circulating in the world and that people get to hear your brilliant solo albums. No, and they're like, you. they're huge tracks. There's like 20 songs on each album. It's like, enjoy people. We have music um, for you for days. It's, it's <laughs> like, it's so, so wonderful. Um, Thank you. Lindsay, I need to know what you're obsessed with right now. What oh, is your God. Obsessed? Okay, well, um... 
Yes. I was obsessed with Bridgerton, but I've done oh. Bridgerton now. I mean, okay. that that was I was completely obsessed with that. But I I'm now onto this. Oh god, it's it's so awful. It's brilliant. It's you know maybe it's a carry all over again. Um, it's um, <laughs> someone suggested that I watch. Um, it's called um, Married at First Sight, mm-hmm. Australia. <laughs> It's the Australian version. I don't know if there's an American version. That I don't think there's an English version yet. But Married at First Sight, Australia. Well, I mean, I can't stop watching it. Me and my husband, we're sitting there and we're absolutely hooked. It is so car crash TV, but it's a, it's obsessive. You just can't um, you keep watching. I will watch it. My obsessed this week is your album, True Colors. It is so, it is so good. I have been listening to it kind of nonstop for the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's really, you're so, so talented. And I am so delighted to have you. All right. Let's do quick fire questions. Are you ready? Oh God. No, no, I'm not ready. Go on. All right. Your favorite (laughs) holiday. Oh, Christmas. Okay. Do you have anything from Carrie in your home? Um, yes, I have a pair of white shoes in the loft somewhere. And and also, (laughs) I have lots of, um, this is really sad, but before I left, um, the company manager said, look, do you want any of the front of house pictures? And I went, yeah, okay. So somehow I had, I came home in massive suitcases with some of the front of house pictures that are Dusty again in my loft. But can you imagine? There'd be some fan out there that would kill to have this. Matt, if you're ever in need of a, a few thousand pounds, <laughs> um, just know that someone will buy them. I know. Um, oh, my God. If you can go back and do one performance of anything from your career, what would it be? Oh, Roxy, every time. Oh, God. And you went back. You did Roxy a few I, times. I, right? I did it about three times, actually, yeah. Um, I, I just found it the most liberating. Um, I, I just Because it was so out of my comfort zone and so unexpected of me to do that, and I just I had a ball. And also, uh, my daughter was quite young the first time I did it, and I it was the most um, liberated I felt to be able to be a mum and to then be Roxy Hart at night. It was yes. absolutely empowering, yeah. Oh my God. What is the strangest fan interaction you've ever had? Oh. I'll tell you what did happen once and it was actually a bit bit weird. Um I got followed home. Oof. Yeah, scary. I was at the London Palladium, which um I went full circle and went back to, to do Joseph at the Palladium, which is a wonderful job. Um and uh, there was a lot of sort of, yeah, quite obsessed fans. And I got, I, I would drive, I used to drive home and I lived out, out of London and I got in my car the one night and this fan was in a car behind me and they just followed me and followed me and followed me and just kept following me. And, and, and I, I was just like, oh my God, I can't, I can't let them know where I live. So I ended up driving all over the place until I, I eventually I went around uh, like a, a sort of a roundabout and I kept going round it until they realised that there was no way I was getting off this roundabout until they went in a different direction because I clocked that they were following me. And then that eventually, is terrifying. Yeah, really. That's the scariest thing that's ever happened with a, a fan. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is the worst audition you can remember? 
God, there's so many. You don't have to get into specifics, but there's maybe. so many. There's so many. Honestly, I, I, I mean, I had one quite recently. I mean, talk about you know lockdown nightmare. You, you suddenly your agent's calling you to do things that you'd never normally do under normal circumstances, and they said, "I'm quite a little shorty," and they said, "Lynn, don't be insulted, but would you go for an audition to play a Christmas elf?" <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, yeah, go on then, I'll give it a go. And I went for this audition, and I only got uh, penciled, um, and it was for an advert. And, and they were like, you've been penciled, but they want to just see you once more, and you've got to go into London. Well, it was the first time I'd been into London while all this craziness is going on. And I got this mask on, and, and I felt really, you know, quite sort of scared. It was, And I, so I was completely out of my comfort zone, and London is my comfort zone normally. And I went into this audition, and, and I sort of thought I, you know, practically got it. And then suddenly I got in there, and there was loads of other little people looking a bit sort of elf-like. And I was just like, uh-oh. And then they said, you've got to learn this thing really quickly. Well, my middle-aged brain doesn't learn anything quickly. Um, and I went into the, this audition, and I said, okay, go. And I was just like, I can't remember any of it. I just can't remember anything at all. So I literally was making up rubbish, and I didn't get the job. Well, they should have cast you. Have you <laughs> ever performed for the Queen? Uh, not the Queen. I have performed for Charles and Diana. Um, oh. And um, in fact, I think most of royalty, but I haven't performed for the Queen. I did do a Royal Variety performance. Was she there? No, I don't think she was there. Well, we so no, we have to fix it, yes. We have to fix it. All right, who is your first celebrity crush? Oh, um, Tim Curry. Oh my God. I know, I know. I'm, I'm you know, what can I say? <laughs> because of Rocky Horror? Says it all, yeah. I was obsessed okay. with Rocky Horror. And, um, I, and I just thought he was full on sexy. Yeah. Have you seen or listened to the new reworked Carrie? I have. I um, heard the album um, and I saw um, a version of it at the Southwark Playhouse in London. Um, and uh, I think they'd fixed loads of things and it was, um, I thought the girl that played Carrie was great, um, Evie, who's, um, yeah, we did have a few conversations because I think she wanted to touch base. Um, but, um, you know, I, I still still think that it, 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 you know, you can't, I don't think it, I don't think it's a piece that you're ever going to get right. And I don't think it should ever be right. I just yeah. think, I, I think that's the point. I think that it's, it's just this moving feet that, that just isn't ever going to quite, quite work. And I think that although there are elements of it that were so much more right and it, it, had, it felt more like a, a show, a whole piece of theatre, um, it kind of missed the camp and the and the the, the spectacle and the the, the extremities of, of what Broadway was. So, yeah. you know, it just can't get it quite right. Would you like to play Margaret? Well, I, I never thought I did. I, I, I never, I always felt that I was a Carrie and it actually wasn't until recently when I was asked to do a Halloween special of um, uh, the theatre channel. I watched, I did watched. you see it? Yeah, and Very it's funny good. because well, it's you know, I mean, I didn't want to sort of pretend I was being Margaret. I thought you know, I'll paint your nails black and try and do you know, I wasn't trying to play the character. I was just asked to sing the song, but they they they'd set it in a kind of haunted um, situation, so it, it kind of added to the atmosphere of it. But it was interesting singing the song um, and being a mother. Um, I. 
I don't know, I suddenly realised that there was actually a lot more similarities between Carrie and the mother than I realised. And um, I, I, it would be an interesting... Uh, it would be an interesting exercise, I think. Yes. But I'm not. I, but I would I, pay full no. price to see that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. A couple more. Fill in the blank. Cameron McIntosh is very wealthy. <laughs> okay. Um, how did you feel about the book, Not Since Carrie, that you were on the cover of? Um, disappointed at the time. Do they have to get your approval for that? No, no. And and that's what I was disappointed about, you know. And I think I think also because I was pissed off that they they'd, they'd used a shot that um after one of the performances we we had to do a photo shoot because they wanted to have a photo of me covered in the blood. So it had to be after a performance. Um so I did one of the performances and after they they got me in this sort of room somewhere and uh, did these shots and I was doing them all, you know, with a very serious scary as I could face. Um and then somebody made me laugh and I went like that. And there's that one shot and they used that shot on the front cover of this Not Since Carrie book. And I just thought, you know, there's one thing using an image of, of me. Um, and there's another thing using an image of me smiling with a big chubby face when actually, you know, there was a background to why I was smiling in that shot. So, you know, I was just a bit, yeah. All right. So. Uh, it's a good story. Have you ever left a show at the interval? Um, as in watching like a show. Watching a show, audience member. You don't have to tell us what it is. Yes. Yes, okay. Um, and my last question is, what advice do you have for young performers? Um, have a second string to your, you know, do something, have something else that you can also do. Um, I'm saying it to my daughter at the moment. You know, it's like, uh, it, it can be a wonderful career and you must follow your dreams and work, you know, super hard. Um, Take it seriously, but try and have a sense of humor as well. Um, you know, don't don't lose don't lose the, the passion that you have for it, but be realistic that you are going to be out of work as much as you are in it. So therefore, it's really important to have something else that you can also enjoy as a as a sort of a, a second string. Yeah. That's wonderful. Lindsay, tell people where they can find out what you're up to. Where, <laughs> where, where can we follow Lindsay Hayes? Oh, I'm in lockdown. No one can find me anywhere. Um, I found you. I, you know, I'm so, you know, so behind the times and not not down with the kids. Um, but I do do a bit of Twitter. You can sort of see me on there. I tried to do it with Instagram, but I just thought, oh, no, it's not me. Um, so, yeah, All Twitter's right, really so the only place where, you know. We'll follow you on Twitter. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a dream for me. You are such a delight. Oh, and I can't you. wait to come to the West End and see you in a show. Oh, let's hope, hey? Let's just, I can't wait to get back to New York and oh my God, watch some things. Here. And, yeah, here. love to, love to. Um, thank you again. Thank you all for listening and I will see you next week. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash littleme. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.